This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Jane Grody Abel. Jane is a founding family member of Donato's Pizza, and she currently holds the title of chairwoman of the board. Jane, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being asked. You bet. So one question I ask every single guest is, what's one thing people might not know about you? I would say today, the one thing people might not know about me is that besides the fact that I have three grandchildren, that from an early age growing up behind our very first restaurant that I've had a passion for going into this business. But my dream was never necessarily to run the business. My dream was always to be a place where people could bring their principles to work with them and grow and prosper. I love that. Yeah, And kind of going back to the very beginning, in 1963, your dad, Jim Grody, actually started a pizza shop, Donato's, at 19 years old. And at the very beginning, he had a vision for a company that put customers first. And obviously, with this, with this podcast, uh, focused on customer service and customer experience, that's very important. But why was that important to him? My dad actually started working in the pizza business when he was 13, and that was before minor labor laws. And I would say, I think he had such a, a life lesson experience during that time. Um, he grew up in you know, Catholic schools and very disciplined home. And when he went to work, what he found was he worked for two different people that had really two different modes of management and leadership. And one was a very servant leadership, and the other one was a little bit more not necessarily the same values. And so he remembers at the very early age of 16, actually, when he had the first opportunity to buy a pizza place and then ended up doing it at 19, was his passion to go into business so that he could make sure he created a place for not only his associates to have principles and bring their principles to work with them, but to really give back to the community and to be a part of the community where we could lift the community up and be an asset and a good neighbor to the community. So I think for him, his vision always as a little girl, as I stood under the sign in my pajamas with him, was always to be around the world so that we could give back to our customers and to our community and make a difference on every block that we were doing pizza. That's that's so awesome. I can't imagine for one being asked to purchase a, a pizza shop at 18, let alone starting your own pizza shop at 19. That, that, is, that is an entrepreneur at heart. It, it says a lot about him. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because nowadays you, you see so much more startup type of tech or different types of world. But you know, back in the 60s, taking a risk like that, dropping out of Ohio State and uh, borrowing money to open up a pizza place when pizza was just you know, it was starting to really enter all of our communities. And so much so my grandpa was like, please don't do it. This is just a fad. Pizza's never going to last. <laughs> Unfortunately, my dad didn't listen to that. That is good. Good to hear that he didn't listen to that. You know, one thing you said was you were a girl in your pajamas kind of growing up inside of Donato's. So you had that front row seat to Donato's humble beginnings. So tell me about the time when customers were sitting in your parents' living room 
and and waiting on pizza. Like I've I've heard this. I've I've read it. Read your book, The Missing Piece, and I just thought that was an amazing story to tell. And I want I want my listeners to maybe hear a piece of that. Yeah, I think about that today on whether or not I would open my front door every single time a customer came knocking. And I'd like to say yes, but I think we were taught hospitality at a very early age. So my dad built his very first restaurant on Thurman Avenue in South Side of Columbus, Ohio. It's still there today, still one of our busiest stores in the middle of a neighborhood. So wouldn't be zoned that way today, but it has been for 58 years. And so when he built it, he did not build a dining room. I don't think he envisioned the dining room. He envisioned a pickup and delivery. But we got so busy at night when the customers would come in that front door, he would send them back to the house. And we literally lived maybe four or 500 feet behind the restaurant. So our front yard was the back of the restaurant. And so every single night, and it was called BAG, back at Grody's, every night when the customers came and the pizza wasn't ready, dad would say, go back at Grody's. And he would write back at Grody's on the box and then he would call when it, when it the pizza was ready. And but what I what I learned about that as a little girl was my mom always opened that front door, and you know, cus- literally, and to the point where our door was just always open. But customers would come in, and we got to know their families. They would bring their kids. We would hang out in our little backyard in our little place that that we had at the time. Those metal ones that are what you're way too young to remember them, but. I remember that feeling as a little girl waiting for our customers because we didn't open until four back then. And we'd get home from school and we would literally sit on the fireplace and wait for our customers to come because they became our community and our family and our friends. And it was, you know, the energy of a restaurant, the energy of being out. Well, we probably all forgot it now because of COVID, but Mm -hmm. there's energy there. And so for me, it totally captured my soul immediately. And I would say I'm an introvert, extrovert, like, uh, but I really get energy from people and being around people. And those were some of my very best memories. Now, I would also say these were the 60s into the early 70s. That, you know, late at night, people were still there while we were going up to bed. And early in the morning, people were still there while we were getting up for school. <laughs> so there's probably a lot of poker playing and a lot of uh, just really family and friends getting together and enjoying the life around pizza because pizza and meals and food, when it's served with love, it brings people together. And we believe it nourishes people's souls. I can't imagine being a child and continuing to get new friends and hear new stories every day. And you could be, you could hear probably just create a book just on the stories that you've learned along the way. And maybe even your, your dad could as well. But it wasn't just that though, you were also serving your customers from the very beginning, even though you potentially wouldn't have called it service. Right. That's a good perspective. I I think you're absolutely right. I I think the art of hospitality, my mom opening the door and allowing people in, but the hospitality of all of us, just, you know, when you engage and you have an emotional connection with your customer, that takes everything to a new level. And so our promise is to serve the best pizza and make someone stay a little better. So it's not just about the pizza. It truly is about how do you serve that pizza served with love and how do you make their day a little better? Sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes for us, it would be, you know, engaging in a card game or playing on the play set, but it was being part of their lives that was bigger than just having them have a piece of pizza. And, and I love that you just said that. How do you make their day a little better? Because inside of that, 
nobody comes into a pizza shop or anywhere else for that matter, a gas station or, or a call center. And are, they don't bring, they don't stop their life when they interact with you just to pick the pizza. They actually bring their emotion, good, bad, or indifferent with them. And so at the end of the day, how do you, they might, that might be the only conversation or the best thing about their, their, their day was interacting with you or with your organization. And so I love the fact that you guys do that because there's, there's so many times where people just think, oh, I got to respond to this, this question today. And I've responded to this problem a thousand times already, but it might be the first time for that customer. And it might be the first time that they've experienced your organization. And so that really resonates with me. Yeah, it's interesting. And I was saying the other day, obviously, I've been in this business my entire life. And this last year has been the most difficult for everybody, right? Our, our associates included because they're essential workers and they've worked through it. So trying to keep that spirit of just make their day a little better, the only really our our power in doing that is trying to make our associates day a little better. So if we can make our our associates who truly are answering the phones and making the pizzas and it, it gets exhausting, if we can just make their day a little better, then they can turn around then and be able to make their customers day a little better. And, you know, that's what I do attribute one, our turnaround after we bought the company back because we had been losing a lot of money after the McDonald's buyback. And that first year we had a $10.5 million turnaround and we really didn't change anything. You know, our pizza was the same going into McDonald's, same coming out of McDonald's. But the turnaround and our sales in, increased because I really believe there are people to start caring again. And when your people care about what they do, then their expression to their customers show that. And I think this last year has shown all of us, it's been such a hard year. And if we could always remember that customer coming through the door or, or when we deliver to their house, because you don't know what you're delivering to, you could be delivering to someone that maybe someone in the home had COVID, or maybe they were part of the protest that day, or maybe they just lost someone, or maybe they're celebrating a birthday. It's your, mm-hmm. your, your part of their life. And we're typically, or maybe it's just they had a really hard day and they needed to order dinner. But we're typically people's part of their lives and part of an event and part of an emotional connection for them. And that's why it's so important to remember, no matter what is going on in the world, that one moment right then and the power of that one moment of just being able to sometimes just smile through your mask right now and say thank you and be kind is some of the best things that we can be doing right now. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. So you just kind of touched on it and kept on running. So I want to go back to it a little bit. But you, Donato's have, has been in, grew for the first 36 years. And then back in ni- 1999, you actually did sell Donato's to McDonald's. So, but then a kind of a turn of events, the seismic shift, after four short years, you and your dad decided to purchase Donato's back. Walk me through that journey and what that was like. Uh, well, I don't know how long we have, but that's a long <laughs> journey. It's in the book. I would say I learned a lot personally and I learned a lot professionally. And we were not looking to sell the company. So when I was that little girl standing under the sign in my pajamas, never did my dad say one day we're going to look for an exit strategy and take our money off the table ever. And so when we were first approached by McDonald's to sell, it was because they were doing their meal occasion strategy and they were expanding with Chipotle and Boston Market and Fazoli's and wanted a pizza concept. 
and had done all this research on us and found us to be best in class. And so they had already been to every one of our restaurants and identified the fact that we had a very consistent product. But they also said we had best in class people, which I, I think for me, that was much more important, honestly, sorry, but then having a consistent product because it was about our people mm-hmm. also. And so we flew to McDonald's and as a family, we decided it would be the best opportunity for us, our people to grow and for our, our family business to grow into other markets internationally, globally with the world's largest restaurant company. We found them to be very culturally aligned And so we decided to, along with our franchise partners, and I'll never forget my dad's biggest moment of that because I was pretty emotional. I I was our chief people officer and I was not a fan of selling, but my dad's first response was, what an opportunity for us to influence the world's largest restaurant company on how to do business based on love and on our principles and treat others the way you wanna be treated and what we now coin as agape capitalism. And agape capitalism is about doing the right thing, leading with love, treating others the way you want to be treated. We've actually, we have the domain on agape capitalism. So if we can build a business based on that and we can influence the world's largest restaurant company on that, that was our excitement about being able to do that. And then my personal learnings through that and ours professionally was, you know, they're a big public company and uh, they care about the people. And they taught us a lot about real estate and drive through and training programs and curriculum. And but we lost ourselves during that time. I lost myself personally during that time. And our culture started to deteriorate. McDonald's started getting a lot of pressure from the street. And as a private company, honestly, I only grew up in a private company prior to that. So I wasn't used to that. I was used to making decisions based on long term and not necessarily quarter by quarter. So I started operating a little bit differently and I had some very valuable lessons during that time where the CEO didn't like me very much. And then by the end of it, I think I found my voice again in a, in a more courageous way that allowed me to really speak up with much more of a sense of confidence versus maybe ego early on. And that was a big difference. And so then shortly after that, McDonald's stock took a historic hit in 2003. And uh, I heard on the radio in February that actually NPR, that they were going to sell or close all of the Donatos Mm. and can't imagine. So by this time, it's just my dad and I that are still in the business. My mom and sister and my two brothers had left the business to pursue their other dreams and passions. And the good thing about that was they had the financial freedom to do it. So my dad and I, I was at that time as our senior vice president of development and franchising and marketing and our people department. He walked in my office and I was, you know, when you just have those moments, I, I knew deep in my gut and my soul and everything within me that we had to buy the company back. And I just believed we have a destiny because I remember sitting, standing under that sign in my pajamas that we had a destiny to do something greater. And so I just was like, dad, like we have to do this. I have no idea how to buy back a family business from the world's largest restaurant company. <laughs> but I know if you get enough smart people around the table that are smarter than me, that we can put together a plan and do it. And I really need you because you're super smart, but I really need your money because I did not have enough money to do it. So we did. And uh, dad and I bought it back in, in late to December 11th, 2003. And since then, we've been on a journey just to kind of reposition ourselves, uh, which we did, and then started franchising again, and now looking forward to our growth as we continue to grow the business. 
In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. It's such an amazing story. Just from the beginning to the end, I think it just it, it teaches a lot of perseverance. And one thing that you just mentioned was you found yourself in maybe dig into that a little bit. Like, what is that? Where did you what 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 shifted in your mind or that process that made you switch? I would say going into selling the business, I, it was I was a family business, and so. Well, that is also hard, by the way. So we were growing, we were franchising prior to McDonald's. And there's a certain stereotype that goes along with not only the second generation of family business, but a female in the second generation of a family business and a female in the pizza business. So I'm kind of like not heard of back then, right? Which was quite some time ago. And so I was our chief people officer at the time. And I would say my passion has always been our people. So I went into the human resource area of our business because I wanted to be able to create a space where people could bring their authentic selves to work. And that means whoever you are, right? Like I didn't want people to feel like they had to pretend to be someone else or to aspire to be something else to be here, that they could just be who they are. And when we sold to McDonald's, all of a sudden, I talked about culture all the time to our managers. I talked about not living in fear. But to be honest with you, my check was signed by my dad and I was an owner of the company at the time. And so while I talked about the importance of not working in fear, I never had worked in fear before, even though I talked about it. And so when we sold to McDonald's, I found myself in a couple of situations with the new CEO where he didn't like me at first at all because I was very opinionated. And maybe not as respectful as I always should have been because I was in a family business and this yeah. was a new game for me. And so, but because of that, then I found myself beginning to operate differently and stopping before I walked into the door or getting out of my car and saying, okay, this is who I have to be when I walk in there. And that was a feel, that was my first step into I'm working in fear. And I don't mean fear like I was afraid to lose my job. I wasn't afraid to lose my job because I had an employment contract. So it wasn't that. It was fearful that I really wasn't creating space in our company where people could be authentically themselves anymore. And because I wasn't even operating authentically myself. And so I wasn't doing unethical things. I just was doing things in a different mode or I started becoming a little bit more concerned about me in my resume and who I reported to and what departments reported to me and a little bit more about me than I was about our mission. And I'd never felt that before. So it was a, a big aha moment for me, literally just one, one middle of the night when you're in fear, you become paralyzed and paranoid. And, you know, you're always wondering what people are thinking or who's making what decision without you. And I had never operated in that ego sense before. And so we were making a, a very big decision on closing a market in Atlanta. 
not because we had to, other than the market needed a symbol that we were we were focused on doing things right. And so it logically didn't make sense to me, but I was doing it because I was told to do it. And it was three in the morning, I was at the office and I just remember thinking, I'm not gonna operate this way anymore. Like I, it was my aha moment. It was as if someone came in and turned on the lights. It was just that I, either I need to change the way I'm acting or behaving, or I need to not be here. And that's what I think the most important thing is people need to recognize either if we're working in fear, we're either not in the right environment or we're not in our right selves, right? We're not authentically grounded in who we are. And so I, I realized it was me and the environment, but I had some influence on influencing the environment. And so I put together, together with a whole team of people, a different plan to um, the Atlanta market. And the, the vision was if we had to close the market because we had to, we were being told to symbolically for the, the street, then we were gonna do it the right way. And we weren't gonna put a pink notice on the door. We were gonna inform our customers two weeks ahead of time with a letter. We were gonna tell our people two weeks ahead of time. We were gonna give every hourly associate a severance. We were going to give every manager a job by the end of two weeks, which we did. We had a career fair. My vision, my dad's always put out there like power of positive thinking, right? Thinking grow rich. And so I remember thinking, I want to see this on the front page of the Beacon Journal that we had to leave the market, but we did it with goodwill and we did it the right, right way. And that ended up happening, which was super cool. And fortunately, we had McDonald's money to be able to do because we, we sent 42 people to the market but we did it and we did it the right way. And that's when I realized, you know, being going through really difficult decisions when you're living in the gray area and it's really stressful and it's really hard to stay grounded in who you are and whatever that means for people. For me, it's my faith. But I had when I every time I get a little bit further from my faith, and I think it's more about me than it is about something greater than me, then I start to realize that life is a little bit harder that way. That was a very a really inspirational moment for me. And I think it's just every time in life when things get hard, it's just checking your foundation and where you're at and staying grounded to who you are. I just want to say thanks. I think uh, it takes a lot of humbleness just to be transparent like that and walk through the journey with warts and all like, hey, this was not a good experience. And this is what I did. And this is how I went through that. And on top of that, one thing I really noticed in the last five minutes is that you, you're very vivid on the dates that are important yeah. to you and the times. Like I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and we did this on December 11th. And I think that shares a lot about the passion that you have within the organization that you're in today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, that, when you're under stress like that, like all of us this year, there are moments this year, right? That, you know, I have a few of them uh, as the rest of the world does that were just aha moments and it makes you pause and kind of reprioritize everything in your life. Yeah, so let's shift real quick to one thing, speaking of, of not being the person that you thought you would be and switching it to, you had the ability to be an undercover boss. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about that. I mean, I, I know that I've actually seen the the video and and how you were got to go undercover and how a couple of people maybe noticed that it, it may or may not be you. But what was that experience like? 
crazy experience. So if you asked me when I was a little girl, would I, would I ever want to write a book and would I ever want to be on a national TV show? I would have said no way. <laughs> both of those. They were both a lot harder than I thought they were going to be. I would say the reason we ended up being asked to be on it was because they were looking for a female in the pizza business. And at that time, there, I was it. Um, but White Castle, which we're friends and family with the uh, um, here in Columbus did their first episode. And so they had called White Castle to say, do you know any women in the pizza business? And, they, and of course they said, yes, our good friend Jane. So I went into it kind of going, ah, I'll say yes, but I'm sure there's a good reason not to do this. Right. And so the only reason that I felt maybe positively we as a team did was, wow, on the other end of this, this is exciting because we can give back to our people in a big way. Like we never get to just do that. And my husband, who was also working with us at the time, we kind of went through, they, they did an exhaustive interview with us, like eight, four hour interviews with me. They were in all of our restaurants. And so, you know, there's a whole ruse that goes on. And yes, because I always watch, they're going, these people know they're on camera. They do know they're on camera, but they think it's for a completely different show. And ours was called The Startup. So I would say... For me, I grew up in the stores. The hardest part for me, honestly, was to pretend to be someone else, right? I just told you my whole story yeah. and how you should be authentically yourselves. And here I am walking into the restaurants dressed up as someone else and saying my name, which, you know, if you watch the episode, I messed up a couple of times, but <laughs> saying my name was Kathy and that I didn't know how to make a pizza. Like one of it was I had to make my dad's favorite pizza and I messed it up. And that was a hard part for me, but I kept getting through it to say on the other end of this, we're really going to be able to help some people and we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. So it was two weeks. It was 16 hours a day. It was them filming me when I put on my makeup, take off my makeup. I wasn't allowed to use the phone. I wasn't allowed to call people, et cetera. But I will share a little story after the driver shared his incident with me of smoking pot with our customers. So for those of you that haven't watched it, I'll never forget that night. I went back to the hotel room. It's late at night. It was two after two. And uh, I was crying because I, this was going to be on national TV. And I thought, I totally just blew. We have this family business and we're going to be on national TV. And, our, and at that time, marijuana was much, much different conversation in 2014. And so I called my dad. I was like, I'm not supposed to be calling you, but this just happened. And I don't, I'm, you know, and here's another story. My brother lives in Colorado, my younger brother, and he has a ranch where he grows marijuana, right? And he has dispensary. And so I was like, I think I just outed Kyle on national TV and our, our business. And my dad, all he said was, well, did you love your way through it? Mm. And I paused and stopped crying then. And I said, yes, I did. I did what we would do, which if you haven't seen the show, you have to watch it. But I did what we would do. And he said, then don't worry about it. Rest. And so that that and every hard time in my life has been our mantra. Just love your way through it. Mm. And for those that have not seen that episode, I recommend going back and, and listening and, and looking at how she did handle it because it wasn't maybe the way that everybody would handle it, but I believe it was the right way. Well, thank you. Yeah. So one of the things that I had outside of business, like take, take Donato's off the plate. What values have you learned from your dad, Jim? I would say that's exact. Uh, that one right there is just love your way through the really hard times. And cause there's really hard times I've been through a divorce and that was really hard. And 
going through divorce and leading a company is really hard. And always, if you, at the end of the day, you can lay your head on the table and say you did your best and you loved your way through it, then you did everything you possibly could. And so he, my dad is, he's a, he's a inspirational, strong, visionary entrepreneur who's still involved. He still yesterday called me about, you know, a better way to do our hand toss. And he's inventing things over at the Edge Innovation Center to help us make a more consistent product all the time. It's his passion. But I think for what he taught me is the value of loving your way through it and persistence and dreaming, think and grow rich. And, you know, the power of visualizing what you want on the end of that. And it really ultimately becoming what you transpire is what you work hard for. And those are all the things he taught me. My mom, on the other hand, who doesn't get a lot of, of notoriety, they're divorced started a nonprofit here in Columbus, Ohio called Amethyst. She's a recovering alcoholic for 37 years, taught me really resolve and also taught me the ability just to love unconditionally and give people second chances. So how we treated our uh, undercover boss was truly a reflection of my mom's ability to learn to give people second chances. And we've been doing that ever since actually for for 58 years um, we've always continued to hire people that have had barriers in their life that they haven't been able to get work and that's we we uh, take a lot of pride in helping people learn and grow here yeah and one thing that you also do that maybe people might not know about you is that you're very big into the community and you're very big in serving the community so maybe tell us a little bit about some of your personal passions today so my, uh, my biggest personal passion is just the growing disparity, one on the just our inequity of prosperity and what we have in this community. And so poverty and racial injustice are probably two of the things right now are really weighing heavy on my heart. Several years ago, we had an opportunity in, our, in the south side of Columbus where my dad grew up, where I grew up, uh, where the community was falling on really hard times. So Mayor Michael Coleman at the time called my dad, asked him to be a champion. And, you know, at this stage of life, you're able to give back your time, talent or treasure or hopefully all three. And my dad said, absolutely, we'll be part of it. And then my dad called me and he said, Jane, I need to do do something. We need to help this community. And I, you know, you've already heard me say, I don't know what any answers are, but I know if you get enough people in the room that are smart. So I called my very best friend, Tani Crane. Crane Plastics, who also has a family business on the South Side. She said, whatever you put in will match all this without really a strategy. And then from that, with the city and with uh, Reverend John Edgar and Don Kelly and um, city officials and Erica Clark Jones and a whole team of people, we created uh, Reeb Avenue Center. And uh, Tani and I co-founded and we are on the board and we're the master tenants. But it was an old elementary school building that was abandoned. And we raised $16.5 million to renovate it where 14 different nonprofits reside. And all of those nonprofits are really to help lift up the community, not give a hand out, but a hand up. And so the idea is to really transform the community. If you just go in with one pillar like childcare, then you've got all these other barriers around the holistic part of that family's life that they're going to continue to be against barriers. So for us, it was about making sure that we were able to lift the entire community up. 
Yeah, it, it seems like you guys are doing exactly that. So I appreciate the, the community service that you're putting into that because it sounds like a lot of work, but it's also a, a big impact to the, to the community of Columbus. So thank you. Thank you. Real quick, yeah. one part of it's called Love Kindness. And that is, as all of us are out on the streets today, we see more and more people panhandling. And it's hard, right? Like, because you don't want to drive by and not look. And if you look, then you feel guilty and then you give them cash and then you're not sure that's really helping. And so we came up with something called Love Kindness and you can buy them on our website, but it's a it's an envelope with a card in there and an all day long bus pass that can get them to Reeb Avenue Center. We'll give them a care kit. We'll get them the help that they need. We'll get them a meal and we can help them with housing or drug and alcohol or getting a job or clothes. Wow, that's awesome. Go to that website. What's the website, Jane? Website's ReebAvenueCenter.org and under that is Love Kindness. There it is. Uh, go to the website and hand those out to help people out. Uh, so I wrap up every podcast with two questions. And the first question is, what book or person in customer service or customer experience, or it doesn't have to be uh, one of that topic, but has influenced you the most in the last year? So parameters. And then if you could leave a note to all the customer service people and customer experience professionals, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Okay, well, I'll start with, I would say I'll start with an organization that inspires me on customer services, Chick-fil-A. They're mm-hmm. probably one of the best out there overall in our category that does an amazing job, not only hiring. So we hoped and that we hope that we're equal to them. Two books that I'm reading right now are Dare to Serve by Cheryl Batchelder. She was the CEO of Popeyes, um, but now sits on the board of Chick-fil-A. And thanks for coming in today, creating a culture where employees can thrive and customers' services alive by Charles Minton. And those, you know, probably just represent overall the idea of taking care of your people so that they can take care of your customers. It is about servant leadership and it is about being in it your whole heart, body, mind, spirit, and emotion. And I tell our managers um, when we are in person, if they're not in this because they love to serve, then they're in the wrong business because we really truly are a service business. And if there's one thing that I could say that would land on everybody's desk, because this is going to sound probably cliche, but especially now more than ever, is just be kind because we have no idea what is going on in people's lives and just try to make someone's life a little better that day in that moment. Yeah, that's great advice. And it seems like that's the that's the theme of this entire episode is continue to make somebody's life a little better. And that is exactly what you've done on, on this episode. And, and, I, and I think to all my listeners uh, today. So, Jane, what's the best way for my listeners to, to get a hold of uh, Donato's or, or the uh, Areeb or, you know, finding you on social? What's the best way to connect? I am on social on, oh gosh, my account handle under Jane. I'll make sure that it's under, I'll I'll, I'll tag you. Okay. So I am on, I'm on Twitter, not as much, but more Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I love TikTok like most people nowadays. And obviously our Donato's website, you can find all kinds of information on that. I also have a microsite, janegrodyable.org, or you can just email me at jane at donato's.com. That's great. And, you know, it's it's not a customer service or customer experience book, but it is a book 
that talks about customer service and customer experience. But go go ahead and find her book, also The Missing Piece, Doing Business the Donato's Way. It's a really interesting book, and I, I highly recommend you take a peek at that as well. So, Jane, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this time today, and I look forward to the success you have at Donato's. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.